What's up, guys? We are back with the Four Mandalorian podcast, this time for season two of The Mandalorian. And I am so hyped to be back here with my boys T-Bob and Jesse. Guys, we're going to dive right into this thing. We're going to start with some overall points about what we noticed, and then uh, we're going to toss it into our kind of more favorite things individually in the episode. So, uh, T-Bob, I'll start with you. For me, um, this was spectacular. I, I, I'm always amazed by things that you can come in with like a super high level of expectation and then the thing then follows through and even exceeds your expectations. And that's how I felt about Mandalorian season two, episode one, the Marshall. Like I, I remember when season one did it, I was just kind of taking the approach even like, even though I'm really excited, right? I, I was kind of like, man, that was so good. No matter what happens from here on out, that was just such a solid story that they told. And now it looks like, it looks like they're evolving. It looks like it's expanded too many ways, but but really, it's it's also like really simple at its core. And I guess the the best thing that I can say uh, about the first episode is that it gave me the same exact feeling as like playing with all my Star Wars toys when I was younger and like just making up these adventures and these stories. It was just a ton of fun, beginning to end. One of my favorite on-screen monsters ever. Uh, I thought I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, it's like you said, when they had these opportunities to meet expectations, where shows or maybe the next installment of a of a like movie. You know, I think of Two Towers. I think of how excited I was for for the Two Towers to come out. I yeah. did the midnight showing. You know, I was I was similarly excited about Mandalorian season two premiere, and I've got no complaints. Uh, I thought it was awesome. I thought from the beginning to the end, it was awesome. I, I think though, my biggest complaint is I could have watched it for another hour, an hour and a half. I, I just, oh yeah. I mean, I was so locked in, and uh, from start to finish, and when it ended, it was. You know, it really left you wanting more. I uh, I remember, T-Bob, when you and I were doing the first season of this podcast and we talked about every week kind of being blown away in a different facet. It amazes me that they've achieved this level of consistency of being able to do it again after months, you know, after the hype. I, I, I'm just blown away by that fact. And really, that's what I took away from the whole episode is that it wasn't just, you know, capitalizing off the the cuteness of baby yoda or capitalizing off the hype they were going forward it's consistency which really really blows me away it is consistent yeah. uh go on jesse what were you gonna say I, I just it made me think you know we watched that making of the mandalorian in the in the interim i thought that yeah. was fantastic it got it gave you a glimpse behind the curtain and favro and Filoni's, um unite partnership whatever we're calling this it has just it is it is exceeding expectations it's magic it's magic magic, yeah and they're using all these tricks of the trade and kind of miniatures and and these different things that we saw and i thought overall the the episode was 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 simple but the sound the effects that screen, I mean, it was very much alive. On it's so, TV. it's I, so, I, I, I'm always blown away by uh, 
how how real everything feel, feels considering this yeah. is a show that is shot essentially in like a giant led room like maybe okay so it, it is such a great mixture of special effects with practical effects and in an odd way the giant led room is also kind of practical effects but like to me where, where, where it really shines in terms of stuff that blows me away with how i never even question it or uh the 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 kind of hybrid animatronic characters right like what was it quill in the first season um I, I can't remember his exact name but then uh the john leguizamo character the, the gangster at, at the beginning of this episode like it, yes, it, it's a marriage yes. of somebody in a bodysuit uh puppeteers doing some excellent animatronic work and then obviously the voice work by it was nolte last season leguizamo here but like these characters those characters feel so alive and, and it's like jesse it's like what you were saying it's representative of the rest of the show uh, they really pull these effects off, like even this giant sand dragon, this crate dragon, which I never heard of, which we'll get into relying on Nick. But like even that dragon felt real, which is which is wild for a movie, much more wild even for a television show. I think you bring up a great point with uh, Gore Koresh, that character. He seems to fit in Star Wars in a way that he really wouldn't in any other series, I think just because that's the aesthetic and the feel that Star Wars has kind of cultivated. And the fact that they're not trying to leave that behind, they're they're continuing that, is something that I think it shows the creators have the right ideas in mind for the series. <laughs> I mean, in, in the, the, first the first scene, the Mando upgrade, I mean, he had a major glow up. He was looking pretty sharp in his yes. best star. Yeah. And him and... You know, I always I get this feeling of, you know, it's kind of like the Hound and Arya and Game of Thrones. Baby Yoda and uh, and Mando are this clan of two, and they've seen some stuff. I mean, they're they're going through it. They walked into this, you know, in place as the alphas in the room. And I thought the first scene uh, was awesome. I thought Leguizamo's character was awesome. I was telling T-Bob. I mean, if you're a Hollywood guy or or, or, or got some sort of pelts on the wall, whether you've been in a movie or show, and you're agent and you love Star Wars, you better be asking your agent to get on the Mandalorian because they are doing great with the cameos yeah, and the. Oh, I yeah. mean, the casting is just off the charts. Well, I mean, uh, what, what was the? Uh, I mean, Timothy Oliphant, dude. I keep thinking about it. Like, <laughs> how is that every boy's dream? He gets to just mess around in Boba Fett's armor for an entire episode and play with like badass laser guns. And he's like standing there next to Mando. And again, because of a lot of it is not green screen. It is this giant room. You really feel like you're in it. It just, it must've been, I mean, what a fun experience to that job. By the way, another, I, I just got a text in a completely unrelated group that Timothy Oliphant is 52 years old. He looks unbelievable, dude. He looks so good looking and perfectly gray in that uh, in that Marshall's uniform. I think the Oliphant character really brings you back to when you were a little kid on the playground and you'd just been getting into Star Wars and you're running around acting like you got the jetpack on and all that stuff. You kind of, like you said, vicariously see yourself in all yes. of those scenes. I, 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 I mean, what do you... You want to be? We're going to make you wider with Mandalorian armor. And jet How's that sound? That'd be, that'd be cool. You know, you're like, yeah, it sounds awesome. Hell oh, yeah, dude. And 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 he'll okay. So, what do y'all think? You think the marshal has a uh, a larger role to play down the stretch? Oh yeah, I think yeah. Ahead, 
yeah they they he, he says that they hope the pass cross again mm-hmm. and uh and the mandalorian seems to reciprocate so i don't see why not and they really as the episode goes on do like an absolute like perfect textbook example of like character development through like we're kind of hesitant like i don't really want to work together with you but we have to to where near the end they're kind of like buddy buddy and i love to see that relationship develop in such a short amount of time yeah and again, you cannot deny the fan reaction for for our for the marshal has just been through the roof people love the guy i've not seen anybody you know they just really nailed that character well like, I mean, like it's, really a, a, it's a testament to the writing to know how hard to please Star Wars fans are, and then you're dealing with one of the most beloved IPs of like the baddie category. Well, and and, 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 like, you're, and you're dealing with, I mean, you're dealing with Boba Fett's armor here. Like every, like proceed with caution. If you do something that people aren't down with Boba Fett's armor, then like people would rage. But all of my, it's 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 it's, in, it's what this show has done with a lot of characters, which is, and I guess all sh- all great shows and movies are, are pretty good at this is. It's just a it, all the elements that make movie magic are all just coming together, and sometimes that works, right? Like it's it's very well cast, right? We talk about Oliphant; it's kind of charisma, machismo. He embodied that character well. Uh, I can't get over the costume design. He had that striking kind of silhouette where he had that like oversized red scarf, kind of oversized shirt, and all. It, it gave him it gave him this kind of lean predatory look but you could also tell that the armor wasn't really his right like the armor kind of remained a bit ill-fitting which i enjoyed as well but just so like visually how it was acted how it was written it it just it it all came together and 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 when it does it remains one of the reasons why i love movies so much because you just love these characters i want a martial action figure yeah yeah (laughs) absolutely and and you you bring up a really interesting point when you talk about seeing his figure you know in the uh in the cantina as he walks in like seeing that my mind immediately goes to the scene on the death star where uh, darth vader's like recruiting all these bounty hunters and you see boba fett there kind of standing in the background menacing and then you think about now it's on some marshal in a podunk town in tatooine that is kind of crazy it's like microcosm of how this series (laughs) illustrates the fall of the empire and the fall of all these things and it puts it kind of more into context than you could by just explaining it it puts it into a context of like hey here's all these things that like are beloved and crazy and legendary and now they essentially mean nothing which is very striking to me well and and they went they went right down the classic spaghetti western i mean this thing from the jump street was you know most pelgo was your classic western mining town i mean how about when he rides in on the speeder bike like he's riding on the the speeder bike i love so much i can't even tell you (laughs) that whole slow ride sequence really gives you like crazy atmosphere building i love it yeah and and think about uh it's such a good show because uh, 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 baby Yoda was just kind of, he was like us. He was a spectator when he's been the, probably the most popular worldwide character. I mean, he's yeah. a freaking cultural icon on the internet yeah. at this point. And, uh, you know, th- that shows you how good the show, they're not relying on, on baby Yoda. It's I mean, this point. thing, uh, this thing has got depth. It's got storylines developing. It just introduced, a really cool new canon character that's part Han Solo, Wyatt Earp, and 
and uh, Doc Holliday and the whole thing wrapped up into one. And, you know, it, it's like you were saying earlier, T-Bob, about, you know, casting. This show just does everything right. I mean, the music, the score. The I mean, score, that guy, dude. That, Lude, that was Lude, just what, as good as the rest. That was one of the best episodes of Gallery, of the behind the scenes, was um, – uh, what, what's what's the composer's name? Ludwig like Gunnarsson or something? Uh, whatever. Yeah, I, I, but, I, I don't want to butcher his name, but he's a young guy. He did yes. some of the stuff with with uh, Childish Gambino. I mean, he's got some. He's Ryan got some Cooper, real talent. Who's uh, Ludwig Göransson? Uh, Ludwig yeah. Göransson. There you go, dude. I, I mean, I I don't know about y'all, but every now and then I have a uh, a soundtrack that just kind of transcends the screen. I end up listening to it a lot in the car. And I've been listening to a Mando playlist on Shuffle for the past couple of weeks now. Uh, hey, can it, we talk about how so they good. did the music in this episode? Like, I feel it's it's a departure from what the typical Mandalorian music well, is. Okay, but, okay. Well, okay. Well, like, let me let me let me preface this for those that may be joining us for the first time. So Nick is not just our Kotor expert, Kotor correspondent, but he is also um, an excellent drummer. He restores drums in the LSU band. He's a beast. So he is a true musician. He knows music. So Nick, give us the breakdown of where you're just talking about. Why? Why is this different than 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 the than what it's done in the past musically? So when you look at Mandalorian season one musically, I think you see a lot of like epic grand scale music, very pulse pounding, very dark. I thought you got a little bit more like '80s noir vibes from this episode. I thought it was a little bit more upbeat, up paced, but it still incorporated like a lot of the motifs, like da 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 da. They yeah. incorporated that in creative ways in music that we haven't seen in this series before. And I think it goes back to Jesse's point about how this series is not just standing on one leg. It's not standing on Baby Yoda. It's it's proving how good and well-rounded it is by not having to rely on tropes of the past of the series. And I think that's remarkable for something that's coming out nowadays. So we're in the first scene and I know we're kind of jumping around, but what did y'all think about the first, that it was just a big action scene right out. You know, I thought it established Ma uh, Mando or Din Djarin, whatever we're going to call him as just a, a pretty elite hand to hand combat guy. What did y'all think about the scene uh, in the, in the gambling ring in the little boxing area? So we see that Mando hasn't, softened he's still tough he's still hard as nails you know his empathy and love for baby yoda has not turned him into someone who is going to take the less violent way out because he's around a child like maybe we literally see him he like hangs this dude by his ankles and shoots the light out to see him get eaten up by these red-eyed you know just bug looking things like he's not soft so it's kind of an illustration like we pointed out earlier in the episode how He's walking up and he's all tough and he's all macho. He is not regressed at all because you think, oh, he got his helmet taken off. He got, you know, empathy for Baby Yoda. He might be a different person. He might have a different set of morals. No, definitely not. No, I think he's been, his resolve has been set. I mean, he's been given a purpose, He said right? he's been he's questioned. A, he's a Mandalorian. He literally said he's been, been given questioned. a quest. Sorry, go on. Go ahead. No, I, my point was, is he, to me, his resolve is different. He is now, there's a purpose in his life. He's not just a bounty hunter, dude. He's gone from being a bounty hunter to now a clansman and a recognized signet of Mandalore 
with a quest from at the time, you know, the armorers. Obviously, she's kind of like the shaman of his of his kind of crew there. Uh, this guy's on a mission, and you can tell he's serious. I mean, he gave us everything. He gave us the the vibra blades. He gave you the 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 phoenix things. And I, and look, I know we saw this part in the in the trailer a lot. But I still loved when little Yoda stuck his little paw out there and, <laughs> and closed up his little floaty crib. Now I wish I could put my kid in one of those things sometimes, but the uh, dude, it'd be so was, nice, it so dude. Great. It just follows you around. You can control him just by your general movements. I mean, he, I, he I mean, timing on that, that lid thing out of the way too. He's like, hold on, let me kick this out of here. I'm about to. Yeah. Okay. So the kick, the, the kick is the kick is also important to me. First off, a, a couple of things that I love. I love. I love seedy Star Wars bars, right? We first see it in the Mos Eisley Cantita. Uh, You think about when they're chasing the assassin back in Attack of the Clones. Uh, I mean, you just, you got to love a good seedy underworld uh, in Star Wars. And that's exactly what this, like, illegal fighting ring was. What I also liked was it reminded me a lot of the early scene in season one where he had the four stormtroopers and they're like, you know, this isn't fair or whatever. And he's like... (laughs) Yeah, like not for y'all, essentially, right? And again, yeah. this time they're like, "What are you crazy? Like, you know, the odds aren't on your side, or whatever." And he's basically like, "No, I mean, look, I, I, I'm not gambling. Like, I, I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna win this." And then, sure enough, he just easily handles them, all of the tools at his disposal. Um, but I love, I love how he kicked Baby Yoda's side because that is so. Uh, he did it so smooth, and it was such a practice motion. And Yoda's timing when he saw the songbirds light up, like, oh shit, like. It's time to go. You see that, that that they've been adventuring together, right? Like like they have formed this relationship where now Baby Yoda's no longer left on the ship. It's nothing like that. They are out here just, like like Jesse said, quested, trying to get this thing done, ride or die together. And, they, they, and, and, and like Mando's so used to it that he plans off the bat to get him out of the way. Baby Yoda knows to get himself out of the way uh, as well. You even think when, when he goes to the... Uh the lady's shop where the droids are fixing up his ship a little bit later on. You think, Oh, he's going to give them to her so he can go out and fight the baddie, whatever. No, he, dude, baby Yoda's there. He's in the speeder bike, you know? Yeah. He's not being babysat anymore. Yeah. No, dude. And, and look, there's a theme and they've established it. Wherever I go, he goes. Yes. And I think that they have established that in the teasers and the trailers. They gave it to you right out of the gate uh, here. That's going to be a theme here. You know, this is, you know, this is his, you know, wherever I go, he goes. And you're, that's smart to point that out because even I didn't really think about it until you said it. You, you know, in the past, he'd have left Baby Yoda on the on the on their razor, I believe is the name, yes. the razor crest. Yeah, the razor or he crest. would have left there with the with the mechanic. This kid, he's bringing him everywhere. CD bar, uh, which had the you know those pigs that are from <laughs> yes, Return of the Jedi. They're really still not very good fighters. Wait, okay, I, mean, I know I was I was actually okay, so we talk about all the elements of the show cells, and I still love it because I want practical effect pigs. I want humans in masks like they had. Uh, but their movement did leave a bit to be desired in terms of actually believing that these fighters were very skilled. It yeah, was, it was. It was all. And even, well, the uh, the dude, uh, old boy. Um, when he tried to name? hit, when he tried to hit the uh, the cross guard or the uh, or who are you talking about? The gangster. No, yeah, Gore, Gore Koresh. He's yeah. like, yeah, my guy's not doing too good out there. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we can tell. 
Dude, he lay. I like when he comes off the top rope and he's like, "I'm gonna get him." And he just lands. It just lands flat on its face. It is like a stupid yeah. pig move, which I can appreciate. Would just be to go for the flying belly flop. Uh, but 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 I agree though. It was still nice seeing them. Okay, if we're talking about little Easter eggs, then uh, Jesse, um, the wolves. Uh, the, are those Lothal wolves? I don't know, man. I mean, I, I thought maybe they were. Uh, I'm not sure what they were, but I got a strong Lothal vibe there because of the spray paint and, um, you know, I don't want to go too far too soon, but let's just be real. We know Sabine, we know the Rebels crew is coming yep. and she's a big spray painter and yep. she's tagged all kinds of places all over the place. And it just, whether it's Lothal or not, that was to me letting you know that Sabine is coming or that she's been here. There is, there is a, uh, a little piece of graffiti that is a golden protocol droid that, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. that does. It's very eye catching. It kind of stands out. Well, they, yeah, you know, people rest. are saying that's C-3PO, you know, and, and, uh, but regardless, the style, the spray paint, the tagging of a building. I mean, we've only known, I can only think of one character in star Wars that's done that. Oh yeah. It's Sabine, the only one. Uh, have you have you watched Rebels yet, Nick? Have you have you gotten on your Rebels game? <laughs> oh wow! Look at him. I can see his camera. You have yeah. not. Wow. We're gonna get real. You get Rebels is gonna come front and center. Into this the is okay. Yeah. So you year. have you have required watching. You have homework when you get through this LSAT. You have additional homework for the Four Mandalore podcast, and you got it, bro. I'm telling you, there is one episode of Rebels. That is up there with the greatest Star Wars I've ever seen in my life. But we, we okay, we're, we're digressing. A main character on the show does do a lot of graffiti. Maybe it's Lethal. It makes sense. We know Sabine's coming. We get into that more later. Um, let's let's okay, Nick. I want to ask you a question, man. Yeah. Uh, so you are a Kotor correspondent. To me, um, this episode is one of my favorite monsters I've ever seen on screen. And to me, in my head, it's just a big, badass sand dragon that spits venom and has an excellent kind of sandworm slash dragon sort of feel. But this is rooted in KOTOR lore, I believe. Absolutely. Yes, it is. It is a recurring character in the Nice Little Republic series. And uh, it is illustrated a little bit different in uh in those series it's it's kind of like a uh like imagine a a big like uh those things you find in the galapagos the uh the like dragon what do they call them? Komodo, like a komodo dragon. Dragon. Yeah, komodo dragon like a giant komodo dragon he's got you know four legs nah, big old tail that, and then this, like this the classic like like lizard face thing going on yeah no this was this was way tighter when that thing first comes out of the sand i mean it's terrifying they they do a a job of making it like ten thousand more times terrifying. Okay, okay, wait. So so give me the history though. Like, why is the crate dragon significant? So do you know what that thing that they pull out at the end is? What's up? Do you know? Well, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Yeah, give me the crate dragon kind of general history first. So crate dragons are inherently, according to Kotor lore, creatures of the dark side. They are attracted to and feed off of dark side power. And you kind of see that in an area he's living in like a a Sarlacc pit, which has just got dark vibes all over it. So it kind of fits in with the KOTOR lore of what they want it to be. Now it is a little bit different 
in that it's kind of like more of like a worm creature nowadays, but they do portray him in like a cave type area. And they also set a trap to get him out of the cave area to blow him up with explosives, which is identical to the mission that you go on in KOTOR. You do the exact same thing. Oh, wow. Really? So in the game, you kill a great dragon in the same way? Yeah, you, you basically, so you're in Tatooine, right? You land there and your job in Nice Little Republic in the main chunk of the story is to find uh, these artifacts called star maps. Star maps are going to give you a location of this supposed secret. You don't know if it's a super weapon. You don't know if it's a spaceship, but it's some kind of thing that your enemy in the game, Darth Malak, is using to make the Sith infinitely more powerful than they could possibly done through any other means. There has to be this secret thing and you need to find it by traversing the galaxy and finding star maps. So in Tatooine, you find out that the star map is actually in a crate dragon cave. And he has been living in this cave because the star map has been tainted with such a dark kind of cloud over it. Yeah. And that's the energy that he's attracted to. Damn. So do Man, you know what that, that pearl... Wait, sorry, go on, Jesse. That, uh, the, that dark side connection, I didn't know about that. And then you know, this kind of traversing the galaxy quest um, star maps. I mean, what if we're kind of following the same formula and, you know, as we're questing to find his people, we're, we're running into, instead of a star map, maybe it's Boba Fett or, you know, maybe it's some other kind of guide or, you know, like a, it's just, it's interesting that, that that's the, the the first episode was so Kotor heavy, and that part and that part of that game obviously is requires you to go all over the the galaxy and finding clues and whatnot. Yeah, and it goes deeper. You know, it goes deeper in the game in Kotor. You go into the Dune Sea, knowing that somewhere in the Dune Sea there is a cave, and in that cave should be a star map. So you're what? going around, wandering around. You know, it's not at a regular rate but you regularly get ambushed by sand people tribes mm-hmm. they they don't they don't like you being out in the dune sea they want to kill you you come across a sand <laughs> dude, crawler you got to learn you got to you got to learn to talk like mando does dude <laughs> exactly very impressive <laughs> and um so so you're going around the uh, the dune sea right you're taking out these groups of sand people um because Back in Anchorhead, which is equivalent to like Moss Eisley, they've offered you a bounty on uh, sand people gaffy sticks. Yeah. So you go around, every sand person you kill has got a gaffy stick that you can redeem for money. So initially, that's why you think you're fighting the sand people. But as the, as the time goes on, you realize, wait, they also have clothing on them. So you put on the sand people clothing and actually break in to the sand people enclave, which is in one side of the Dune Sea. And once you're in there, the disguises don't work because you obviously can't speak anything. But they take you to the chieftain. And the chieftain says, essentially, we know what you're looking for. We know you want the star map. But you can help us by doing certain quests to kind of undermine Zerka Corporation because Zerka is essentially raiding all of their resources well, so, like, so that's they like the same people. mining corporation that probably took i mean maybe not the same in name but at least in spirit that took over Mos pelgo exactly and that and and really that's a very apt comparison that i haven't even thought about yet but 
you basically go, you have to go to the corporation headquarters back in Anchorhead, get them some moisture vaporators. And in exchange for the moisture vaporators, they give you a map to the part of the Dune Sea you need to go to find the crate Dragon. So that's, you kind of do the same thing in KOTOR that you do in Mandalorian, where the same people are initially your enemy, but then you realize you have to work together in order to achieve that common goal, which also involves the crate Dragon. And the same people in KOTOR don't want, want the crate Dragon around either because it's been killing their tribe as well. Yeah. So, because they the sand people heard banthas, right? Yeah. So the banthas that the sand people are keeping at their enclave keep getting picked off by this. I mean, bro, if I was if I was a crate dragon, a bantha looks like a tasty bite of food. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, just a little juicy, a little bigger than these puny little sand people. Be very into that. Yeah. So yeah. you go you go into that part of the Dune Sea, right? And then you essentially set a trap for this uh crate dragon by using bantha fodder to lead the banthers banthas to uh oh yeah the out very outside of the cave and then you set mines and then blow them up and that's it's really wow. the, the exact same thing that's wild dude okay so does anybody know i guess my my, my wife actually looked it up and told me what it is but does anybody know what that pearl that thing that they that pearl thing that they grab at the end is out of the dragon yes that that is a crate dragon pearl so what does a crate dragon pearl do they in kotor they are the best lightsaber upgrade you can use in the whole game like it's like the most op lightsaber upgrade ever and i'm not gonna lie when they pull it out of the dragon at the end i was like yelling and as excited as the people the sand people were in the episode jesse did you know this dude did you know this yeah, oh yeah. I I've I've been knowing it for no, a while. No, no, wait, Jesse, I, did you know this? No, but I know I'm now knowing that while these Kotor the Kotor side of the fan base was just going nuts after the episode online. Um and it I, was obviously significant, but man, that thing is huge. Yeah. Uh, so is the crystal inside know. of it? So essentially in Kotor it's a little bit different. Um, it's smaller to where it actually can fit in your hand okay. and you put it in the lightsaber. Yeah, it's kind of like a kyber judgment. crystal. Size. Yeah. Um, they were, I, I'm reading the, the Wikipedia description here from the legend side, which is the KOTOR. Uh, yeah. Like maybe it's not canon. A, yeah. It's lustrous colored stones found in the last chamber of the gizzard of the great dragon. Um, and the stones were used to help crush food eaten by them. Uh, but over time, they became rounded because of how much they moved around. Um, and once you clean it and like use some very, very specific prep processes, you can make it to where it fits in a lightsaber and wow. just like gives you the best like like I think it's like plus five damage. Wait, so okay, so Jesse, you are the best I know at kind of big picture where this is all going, like. You're the one that originally planted the idea in my head of Baby Yoda, like uniting the Mandalorian tribes, like a force-wielding Yoda uh, in Mandalorian armor. Um, what, what, like, where does your brain go when you figure out that that pearl is essentially like a super badass Kyber crystal? Well, I, I mean, at first I thought the size of it, you know, how do you get it into a, you know, a lightsaber upgrade form, but. Could we potentially have some, you know, upgrade moment? And I'm gonna. This is just off the top of my head, 
you know, it looked white. It looked pearly. Like, you know, could we have a dark saber uh, mm-hmm. meeting of the of the 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 cray dragon's pearl? Could they become one? Man, that would just be uh, uh, off the top. Oh my god, dude! Oh my god! <laughs> I can't even imagine. I mean, I could see Moff Gideon figuring out about that pearl because Mando and them aren't going to fuck with it, right? But I don't think it's just going to disappear into the background. I could see Moff Gideon figuring out about that pearl and going or, after it. Or it could also have been just a head nod to the game. It and could have. Guys could have. like Nick to jump up and down and be fired up. And they do do that. That, that Kotor is finally being recognized in some live action canon. Well, even and though, look, Rides of like, Skywalker is not very good, but they did uh, confirm Revan, which I know. Right, but that's a statue. I mean, this was an entire freaking yeah. episode that sounds like a, a, a quest from this game. Well, how, how cool for Nick. Like he said, what a cool experience. I didn't even understand that. Imagine seeing that. And when you see that pearl, you know how badass <laughs> it is. And you're like... Oh, the fucking pearl! Let's go. Because I was kind of like, like I thought it was like to me. To me, it felt like when the Jawas got the egg, where I was like, "Oh, that's kind of funny." But what is that for? Because remember Suga, Suga, and the Jawas just yeah. eat the egg, and like nothing, nothing else ever comes of it. I <laughs> know, uh, and for them, it's like when the damn dark saber emerges from his Tie Fighter. Yes. You're like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. It, it, it was an out-of-body experience. Like, it, was, it was ridiculous. Uh, oh, man. Okay, okay. So we are 35 minutes in. I think our goal is to do about like an hour long. Yeah. Um, what um, – okay, give me one favorite thing uh, about the episode. Whoever wants to start, go. Go ahead, Jesse. All right, I'll take a crack at it. and I'm going to blend a lot of things in because I just want to think about chronologically – uh, I think my favorite thing from the episode was the marshal was Tim Timothy Oliphant, who's just aging like a fine wine. I loved most Pelgo. I loved Tatooine getting there, the speeder bike, uh, the storyline, this kind of, I mean, you had the saloon entrance from Mando. You had the, the immediate uh, confrontation between um the marshal and Mando and really, I mean, Mando really pressed the bet. He, you know, he Dude, came Mando was about he, to fuck him up if the dragon didn't come by. Oh yeah. He was, he was like, dude, take it off, you know? <laughs> and he reminded me really of the, this outlaw Josie Wales character from you know, these Clint Eastwood movies. He never said a lot, but he would, you know, he would, he would tell you what he thought. And at that moment, this guy knew that, I may be the marshal here, but this guy dressed up in some pretty bodacious Beskar armor just it's about to kill me, you know, if I don't give him this. And I thought, oh, well, fine. I thought the marshal, we already talked about the costume and how he looked. I thought he is, you know, we all know him from Deadwood and he, he's just, that's a great series. I think if you haven't watched, it's really cool. You know, he's really mastered this character. He's, he's 52 now. He's aged great. He's got that Sam. Uh, Elliot kind of appeal yes, to him, yeah. Uh, and he he negotiated real quick. Obviously, the crate dragon was your. It also introduced it kind of in that 1980s Tremors movie, yes, uh, major Tremors vibes, <laughs> major Tremors. But vibes. I really loved most Pelgo. I mean, I loved it. I loved uh, his story. I loved how he shot the 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 rocket over his back, oh. like the uh, uh, when the mining know, like the corporation escaping. Toy. 
I love I love all the fall of the empire stuff too. Uh, where oh, gosh, that, like so seeing how ruthless it got and the the chaos and the mind. Wait, hold on though, hold on though, because you are right. Seeing the rocket shoot over for everybody who owned that Boba Fett toy, that was a really big moment. I mean, <laughs> and and he. Let me tell you something. It shows a lot about a man's character who goes through that personal kind of journey, gets this uh, Mandalorian armor. He walked right back in there and waylaid that little mining uh, (laughs) guild. I mean, they were done. And and it was awesome. He's got, he's an accurate shot. I kept thinking to myself, this dude ain't, you know, no stormtrooper. I mean, he just dropped them one after the other. And, the, and, uh, and you saw the immediate value of the armor, which I don't know if it's Beskar or not, but it did eat a blaster bolt, no problem. Oh God! And the and let's not just you know let's just tip our cap to the 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 Boba Fett armor. I mean, oh. just I mean the the, the, the eye thing, the eye thing when it's up strike is such a striking silhouette. It's it's kind of oh, insane yeah. to me. I mean, you just want to talk about design, just like a design that speaks to you on a basic human level. This ancient Greek helmet sort of feel combined with it's just it's a good call, man. It's 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 legendary. Yeah, I think one of the little things about that uh, kind of antenna piece is that they animate it to where I don't know if it's animated or practical, but they they design it to where it doesn't really like move too smooth. Like it's definitely like got a rickety yeah, old feel yeah, to it. Yeah. I think that adds to like the vibe of the armor being as torn up that's what star wars tech should be too right it's like retro future right it's it's right it it should look a little dirty a little grimy uh yeah and and filoni he he's a master of this he's he's done it in clone wars he's done it in rebels he's done it last season you had the the wall the actual wolf rats running around there you had the crate dragon oh that was a wolf rat wasn't it oh my yeah. god i didn't even put I that mean, together he and then you had the the sand people uh little wolves or 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 yeah uh, you know, those hairless wolves dude that thing wanted to eat baby yoda so bad it was licking its lips yeah but it the, he brought the animals they, they have done the mandalore uh mandalorian series it's totally committed to introducing, you know, new animals, new Dude, creatures. Floaty loves animals. I didn't always feel him on it. I didn't always feel him on it, but over time, I've completely come over to his side. Like, we're going through space. We should see crazy space creatures. Right. Well, I don't want to take too much time, but that's my favorite part. I love I loved the new character, Marshall, the return of Boba Fett's army, uh, armor. Uh, well, and and I kinda how, like, how about the Marshall just uh, honorably walking away from the armor? Despite everything yeah, that it had done, say, for I him. love the way he got and rid of it, man. And of his word. And uh, what a, gl- I mean, think about this. What a, this guy, what a massive role to be just entered into the Star Wars. I mean, Timothy Olfot's got to be, he's, he's going to be remembered forever now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's crazy, man. You're, I mean, you're literally made immortal. Um, okay. I guess I'll go next. My favorite part. Of Mandalorian episode one, uh, and I'm I'm really shocked this is the case because this should have been the part that maybe didn't work because it's you know kind of the most effect heavy kind of some most complicated stuff. But the entire crate dragon fight scene uh, culminating in him flying out of the dragon, blowing it up, which the 
big okay so another hallmark of star wars are just badass explosions right it's one of the reasons why i love last jedi so much the dreadnought explosion is just so badass looking when that when when mando the second bomb after they swallow the bantha covered in bombs dragon does when he blows it up in the desert and you see that like shock wave go out dude that looks so badass uh and then mando really the shot the climax my favorite part is when he lands uh all the jetpack stuff is tight but when he lands um as the dragon saw him behind him it's just the ultimate cool guy move i like stuff with wires it looked like real practical it just I, I I was blown away by how into the entire dragon fight it was. Like when it spit venom, I, I literally was like, "Oh fuck!" Like like it was just like it just kept getting more and more badass. And then it ends with one of the coolest shots, and it all felt so visceral. Like I said, like when you're flying around with the Marshall and Mando, none of it felt fake, which is so wild well, to say. I, mean, I guess Favreau like they sold it off the Iron Man. Yes, I mean, yes. Favreau. I mean, it, you saw the the years and decades of refining Marvel's Avengers. Yeah. And here it is just, it looks so good. The landing was so, I mean, I just, <sighs> you could have closed your eyes and thought it was Iron Man. Yeah. You know, it yeah. looked great. I guess. Um, and, and that, that, that bears mentioning as well. If we haven't mentioned it, I'm not sure if we have or not, but this is the first episode that Favreau himself has directed. And, 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 and you can tell, man, you can tell that, you can tell even, and Filoni is incredible for so many other reasons, but you can tell when Favre's at the helm because some of these shots are just so beautifully composed. Like, I think about the shot of the one sand person and the bantha when they're originally trying to draw out the dragon and just how minuscule everybody looks against that gaping Sarlacc void and 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 kind of the tension as you hear the rumbling and then when the dragon pops out just all of it man all of it is just it was so visually pleasing oh gosh and you're getting favreau at a this is a master jedi who has now learned from of iron man avengers from jungle book and all the little things that he's learned through that process and then you just throw him into lucas arts and and uh the story of, and, of and unlimited Wars, you, funding now, right? And just yeah, like whatever oh, you want, they are pot committed, son. On this, I mean, the, the Disney Plus is the future of Star Wars. Yeah. People better get on board. Well, and it'll make exponentially more than they put into it, too. So, oh yeah. Uh, one thing, one thing I will say, Nick, before we get to your favorite thing, too, is um, I want to give them huge credit because I'm amazed that they made me happy to go back to Tatooine. Uh, yeah. I was kind of yeah, feeling when you like hear, I was when almost you hear done it at first. It's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, I thought I was kind of done. Uh, not only am I not done, but now I've come all the way around, and I just am now. I just love Tatooine because I, Nick, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about when you're talking about the the crate dragon being att- being attracted to a dark force. There's just something about Tatooine that almost has this like like Jesse wheel of time like a tavern right or whatever like, right. like it, Tatooine just has this pull on the fabric of Star Wars reality and for whatever reason so many threads just end, end up finding their way crossing there and I thought it was done and this episode has now completely changed my mind and now I just think Tatooine is like like I said it stands out even more than it ever has and it's crazy how they can add more legendary status onto something that's already the most iconic planet, essentially. Yeah. You know, it's it's just wild. And 
and you go back to the whole crate dragon pearl thing if you exchange that with the sand people instead of putting it in your lightsaber you actually get to listen to like minutes upon minutes of tatooine lore and you get to discover the way tatooine has become the way it has and to me I, i'm just making all these mental connections right now that absolutely blow me away it is a ta- tatooine is it really, when you think about it, it is the center of the story. And, you know, yep. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the twin sun sunset oh, shot. I mean, it's the best, it's, dude. It's the best. Use it when you need it. You know, go to it. It's a warm blanket. But, you know, it. It when you catch it at the right time, wow, does that a I nice mean, I have goosebumps it. coursing through my body. I, I will never forget. The, ch- the chills you get, dude, the chills are. I, I will never forget the first time you see Luke looking off into those twin sons as John Williams score swells in the background. Or, dude, oh. I, I break down every time. I Star Wars oh. movies never really make me emotional. The only time that has ever moved me to tears is Luke in Last Jedi when he is dying and, he, you know, he sacrificed himself essentially and he's looking at those twin sons and you're just think back to the farm boy that was and to the man that he became. And it was just like, it's just, it's just crazy. And then you in this episode um, again with twin sons uh, and we'll and get to, we'll go, go and, on. And I don't want to, re- and I don't want to rebel spoil it, but I would I'd be remiss. There's a big time Darth Maul, Obi-Wan battle in, in Tatooine that yes. takes place as well. That is a, an excellent uh, uh, chapter to Tatooine. Nick, it is, it is the that is the episode I was talking about that you need to see from Rebels. It is some of the coolest Star Wars you can ever possibly see in your life. Um, you Nick, may not even have to watch the rest of the show. Yeah, you, watch yeah exactly. <laughs> you really don't. Because you already know who Maul and all these people are. Uh, um wait so you Nick, just get to see the end what about you what uh what was your favorite part of mandalore episode one i think to me it's hard for me to put it in one specific like element like like the the marshal or or the the fight scene it's hard for me to boil it down to that because this episode brought me something that i, I really like i've loved every every episode of this series, but this one in particular, as a KOTOR fan, gave me an experience that I never thought I could get again from a piece of Star Wars media. Because I think the overall vibe amongst KOTOR lore lovers is that they want to distance themselves from it. Not because of anything they've said in particular, but mainly just because of things that they haven't said. You know, that they haven't really brought anything up about it, but then you relive this, this scene that you've done at least for me a thousand times in this video game from your childhood. And like, you almost feel like they're making a KOTOR movie out of it a little bit. And (laughs) that gave me such like an out of body experience because I I just, I just never thought I'd see anything like it. Dude, they're uniting the clans, man. The fan base one episode at a time, man. That's, that's what I'm saying, man. Like I'm saying like, like uniting that as as they're, so it's a meta thing as they're uniting the actual Mandalorian clans, IRL, they're uniting the star Wars clans. And I know, I never thought it was going to happen. I know I never, I really didn't. And to see that take place on the screen for me was just like, I've been saying it a lot, but kind of out of body. It's like I never thought it was going to happen. And it shows they're paying attention. It shows that they, they yeah, haven't, that's it. They that's haven't right. thrown Star Wars out. They haven't thrown KOTOR Legends era stuff out the window. It doesn't like it's not non-source material. And that to me 
is my favorite thing about the episode is that we know they're not setting those aside as useless. Oh, and these guys have the freedom in this TV show uh, model to do stuff like that. Yes. To bring these these one-offs in there and tie it all on and, and put a little bow on it because they, you know, they don't have the Skywalker, you know, saga that they've got a full breadth of Star Wars universe that they can bring in. And I, I truly believe that Filoni and Favreau and them think about, you know, look, we got these KOTOR fans out here. They're diehard. Oh, we, we can show them some love and, you know, they're in. And this this groundswell of support for the Mandalorian is just it's it's crazy. It's happening. The, the community well, is aflame right now. Yeah. And everybody it loves it. Aflame. Original trilogy, sequel, prequel, everybody loves it. Um oh uh, um I wanted to get into Easter eggs, but there was something else that I wanted to get to before that y'all just hit on. And now I blanked. Uh hope it'll come back to me. Um I like the little Easter egg. Oh, like okay. Sons, no way. Hold on. Uh, here, here's what it was. Here, here was. Here's what it was. Jesse told me this earlier in the week, and he's so right. I mean, think about it. We've talked about this episode in so much depth and detail and all of these things, but at the end of the day, one of the best parts about it is, and this is, again, an advantage of the TV show, it's so simple. It's kill the dragon. It's a story that people have been telling forever. Kill the monster. Kill the dragon. You know, a story that is as ancient as humans are, and yet here it is still pleasing us to this day, and it's fantastic. And Mando, oh. he and, and it's a Western. It's throw that in with a Western and a sci-fi and, uh, you know, kill the yeah, dragon. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not but, trying to oversimplify it. Like, it draws from all these elements, but I'm just talking about, like you said, like if you distill it to its core, it is that's exactly right. wonderfully, wonderfully simple. Oh, and, and I love the way Mando is... Uh, you know, he unites this kind of indigenous sand people with the pioneer settlers, kind of like yeah. the, you know, some of the old westerns where you know the the settlers and the Indian tribes kind of learned how to get along, kind of coexist. Uh, and he's doing that. And I really, we cannot understate yeah. how big of a accomplishment him killing him actually delivering the the death blow in in such a glorious fashion. Uh, how big of a deal that is for his legacy the in Star Wars. I mean, that is Dinjarin. a major pelt on the wall. Yeah, I mean, think he's about got, it, dude. He's got clout for, for all time. Well, think about it, dude. He got, he got an insignia from killing a mudhorn that he didn't even really kill. I mean, that's way more badass than killing a mudhorn, what he did to this thing, dude. I mean, if not for yeah, Baby Yoda, the mudhorn would have killed him. What, what, what can he get from this when the other Mandos hear about this? Just when people hear about it, there were so many witnesses. Like, this should spread like wildfire. Yeah, it's going to oh, spread. Yeah. It's definitely going to spread. I mean, it, and it's going to be, you know, I, I we kind of laughed in the previous uh, season, and we we talked about Yoda taking the helm and maybe uniting the clans. And I think that could pop, he could still become kind of a powerful force for Mandalore. But I think more about the timeline. Like, how do we have him old enough? Yeah, it wouldn't work. No, it wouldn't but work. Ma but Mando is, is, he's doing that right in front of our eyes. Man. He's going in and he's doing these legendary, you know, Arthurian night tale deals, you know, killing mm -hmm. this dragon. Um, and, and he's also, I mean, something we haven't talked about yet. And I think it's probably perfect time as we get wrap it up. But you know who else he reels out? He reels freaking Boba Fett's ass out. And that was pretty, that was a big Star Wars moment there when we have confirmed that this dude's alive. 
I think he's living with the sand people. He had one of their sticks and, you know, he's got the, you know, the shape, the scarring. He looked really, you know, it just was a big deal. So you think think that's Boba Fett and not Cody? Yeah, I think they're in on Boba Fett. I mean, until I don't want to, you know, I don't want to overthink it. I mean, they've got his armor. They've got him. I mean, I just want to. Uh, that uh, think it. I, I guess the the only reason I'm so. saying so is because I mean I I think it's so wonderful how it worked out that this just happens to be that like the actor who is originally Django Fett who all the clones are based on who Boba is based on that he's at the perfect age to play an older clone slash Boba Fett. It, 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 I guess the only reason why I think it could be Cody is because there still is the Ahsoka tie and like. It was it, what a unique opportunity to kind of misdirect people like that. But but then again, I'm probably overthinking it because we know Boba should Whoa. be on Tatooine and it would make sense as to maybe. Well, OK, Jesse, you pointed this out. Is that guy at the end the same spur that we saw last season in the young assassin episode when we see what is it like the boot of a person at the very end? But it's never we never go back to it after that. Yeah, you, you, we never do. And you hear that sound, that kind of that, that spur walking sound. And I didn't know if I heard it at the end with with Boba, but I thought maybe they're, you know, they, that was a nice little tease foreshadow that they're bringing him to the to the forefront. I mean, he's he's here. I can't wait for the him and Mando and them to I can't wait to hear about what happened to this guy. And if it's Cody, the one thing that I would say is. I mean, come on, Boba's going to be, if Boba lives and Mace Windu is not alive, I mean, Boba fell into the stomach <laughs> of this Sarlacc, but you know what? They probably said, look, we just showed you a yeah, dude how they fly a out. Crate dragon. Exactly. Uh, and so I think we're going to get a, I think we're going to get a broken man, you know, one of these, uh, you know, characters kind of, you know, some, see him, see him littered throughout Star Wars, Luke, Yoda, Obi-Wan. I would question. I, I would question if it wasn't Boba. You know, how do they get the armor? How do the same uh, the Jawas get the armor? Because there's no way the Jawas overpowered Boba Fett for his armor. No, like, well, I happen. yeah, no, I yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I guess it's true. I guess they just always always assume that like Boba had to separate from his Maybe armor. Maybe Boba would realize sometimes these guys like I always use the this example, but you know, a guy like the Hound. He realized that he needed to kind of give up his his armor, his hound helmet. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He was living peacefully among this, you know, settlers who all end up getting massacred at the end of the day. But the uh, he, he gets brought back into being that warrior, that uh, you know, killing machine. And maybe we're going to find a <laughs> a guy a guy that's in a similar way. And in a lot of the the samurai movies, they they have a character like this too, who's kind of you know the old grizzled broken. vet that's like hung it up. Yeah, the grizzled vet who's hung it up, but it still has this like thirst to call. You know, to 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 fight. So we'll see. I mean, it's got to be Boba. That, Y'all are right. It's got to be Boba. There's the armor. It's him. Um, I wonder what he's been doing this whole time. But I mean, it's just. Are we gonna find out that so sand people are actually humans underneath all that stuff? I mean, look, Anakin already has a lot to answer for. But I mean, what else would they be? They're <laughs> called sand people. I know Anakin calls them animals, but I always thought that was more racist than anything else. 
Yeah, I, I don't think we've ever gotten specific clarification on that. I mean, they're Maybe humanoids, if nothing else. Think about it. They got to have somewhat similar biology of Mando. Like you said, Jesse, that, that's from the diaphragm, how they talk. And Mando's able to do it. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, okay, real quick, before we wrap up with like a couple minutes of Easter egg stuff, um, Jesse, you also point out in terms of uniting the clans, the leadership of Mando was uh, shown in this. Oh, yeah. His his ability to first establish himself as the, I mean, the, the, the alpha, uh, the settlers deferred to him. He gave a great speech on the sand people to the settlers to get them to buy into being a part of this attack. You know, he really, he really pumped up the Dune Sea. It was a really kind of ghost, uh, goosebump moment because he was, he was very much in a leadership role there. Uh, and then he gets to this, he sets up the whole, uh, coordinates logistics of the attack. Uh, and then when he knew it was time to, you know, as, as all great generals in the, in the days knew that when it's their time to take the field, you know, he, he hit our boy, uh, the marshal with the old uh, Han Solo back of the yes, Boba dude. Fett army. Speaking of Easter shark. eggs, what a great shout out to Boba Fett's lowest moment. <laughs> yes. And he said, uh, and he, you know, he took it on. I mean, he took the, you know, let it swallow him. And, and that, you know, I didn't even think about it. How many old tales and stories have the monsters been create, uh, killed by letting you? I mean, even back yes. to like Zeus and the Titans, yes. you know, let them swallow you. But, uh, you know, it was just, it, it, it was a really cool moment. All right. Um, okay. So we're right an hour now. I, I just want to do a couple more minutes here. Uh, what did, okay. Easter eggs, a anything that you noticed during the episode? Uh, one thing to me, I still don't know. And I haven't looked at many like Easter egg videos or anything. I wanted to do this first and then look up what other people are pointing out. I'm also kind of worried about spoilers in that regard, but, uh, I love the Marshall's bike. That was obviously a uh, a a former pod engine. It, did do you all know? Is that one of the engines from Episode One? I didn't recognize it. I don't know. I, there's some. I think initially I saw people saying, "Oh, that's Anakin's old pod. That's one half of it." It had a similar shape, but it wasn't the right color. But then, um, but then other folks are saying it wasn't. But I think it's definitely just a nod to pod racing in general and. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about this, T-Bob, and we laughed. Uh, I, I will never understand how they can both be riding on these very like, highly complex <laughs> engineered motorcycles and be able to talk so casually as they drive through <laughs> Tatooine. But no I wind, really no wind resistance, dude. <laughs> None, no yelling, but... You know, we're just two guys on the top of a horse going to kill the dragon. Exactly, <laughs> dude. Exactly. Um, okay, anybody else got any other Easter eggs that stood out to them? I brought it up with the Pearl. The Pearl was definitely like my big Easter egg because I don't think the average fan that wasn't really versed in, in or hasn't played KOTOR would really I had no idea it. what it was. Yeah, I had no idea. And they, don't, they, they don't reference it ever. They're never like, oh, it's a great Dragon Pearl. You just see him like take it and hold it up and celebrate. So I think you kind of have to make an inference there. And uh, I, I loved it. Jesse, what about you, dude? Did you... Uh... Well, you know, I, I took a shot at the Sabine kind of thing. I, I, I do like that, that one. I do like that one. I a lot. think that may have been some some uh, some foreshadowing, maybe not so much Easter eggs. Uh, I can't think of any more. Maybe the 
you know, the blue milk, uh, you know, that blue drink yes. that's been kind of around What do you say? Give me, give, give me two snorts of spotchka. Oh, what a crazy yeah. thing, dude. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then like you said, I love how he handles it where he kind of sits down and he's like, you know, I'm thinking I'm in trouble, but then I see you with the kid and I'm thinking like, maybe I got a shot. Like he was very, he, he quickly assessed the situation. It was like, oh shit, I can't find my way out of this. I got to start to try to talk yeah. my way out of this. Two snorts. Well, I guess only one's walking out of here. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he was, and he was playing that kind of bait and switch, that docile Southern, like, you know, he was buying himself some time to kind of um, figure it out, but he's ready for war. I mean, he was, you know, I, I have no doubt in my mind he was going to pull his trigger, you know, um, I, I know that a lot of the droids were Easter eggs, but I'm not entirely sure which was which. I feel like the droid that the woman mechanic had was the droid that had a bad motivator when Luke and Owen were going to purchase him from the job. I, I, I think you're, oh, yeah, I think you're yeah. right there. I think you're right there. And I think that may have been confirmed. I think that's been confirmed. Okay. But that's that old R five maybe unit the blue the white the white and the white and red uh, one I, I didn't I didn't or the white it's kind of went a white blue red I did I did not recognize the the green one that they offer to um, that they offer to the marshal when he's in the Jawa uh, sandcrawler Yeah, I didn't recognize that one either. All right, well, um, I mean, I guess that's it, man. This was a ton of fun. The four Mandalore podcast. Uh, how? Uh, I mean, as you can tell, we can talk about this forever. So, Nick, I guess yeah. you might as well take us out. Yeah, guys. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us on uh, the return of the Four Mandalore podcast. We are so happy to be back, as we said, and we are really honored that you come listen to us. Um, follow us on social media at Four Mandalore Pod um, to keep up with all of our information. As always, we're on SoundCloud. Uh, Apple Podcasts, and uh, thank you again so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys after the next episode.